welcome to the Cinemondo Podcast with Kathy, Mark, and Burke talking about movies. Horror, sci-fi, unusual, unknown, forgotten, underappreciated, always interesting and quiet. You're both right on the mic. We're doing that. What is that thing where people get all weirded out in their brain when you whisper? Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Do you like the chewing or something? Right. It's the weirdest thing. Like like crinkling an envelope or something? And the tag. It's like yeah. ASMR or something like oh, that. That's so weird. Uh, yeah. That's so weird. It, it makes me want to throw somebody down a stair staircase. It does. When I see a commercial like that, it does incite in my brain like yeah. fury at the stupidity. Oh, really? I'm gonna, I was just going to You're like, my, I love it. I was going to eat my Snickers bar for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Slowly. I'm going to play my two-hour tape of somebody playing notes on the bristles of a hairbrush. <laughs> we should do an entire episode. Of us doing that. We're doing our, whatever oh. it is, DRX episode. Yeah. And it'd be like, you know, it'd be OCD. Like I'm just gonna, OCD episode. I'm just going to say moist slash yeah. over <laughs> and over. Moist slash. Or the sound of somebody going. <laughs> well, that's what they like. They like, it's <laughs> e- actually eating like yeah. weird stuff or, it, you know, or, you know, uh, well, I won't go into some of the other stuff, but it's just, it's just. It's sad, actually, what it is. Well, you know? then they will love our Jacob Pitts vampire episode where he eats pretzels. Oh. Well, he's on mic, so. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob. <laughs> Goofball. Pretzel-eating vampire. <laughs> I know. It's like, we are recording this. <laughs> well, it, it was, uh, yeah, just crunching away. <laughs> well, you know, they were those peanut butter pretzels, which you can't blame the guy because they're just they're supernaturally horribly addictive. It's the official food of the Cinemondo podcast. We should get some yeah. unsalted ones, and then nobody will eat them. <laughs> You're right about <laughs> that. Not funny. I actually have some in my purse I brought. Stinky. Oh, really? (laughs) Kathy, why don't you get one out and have one? Like the healthy version of it? No peanut butter. Less pretzel taste. We're going to eat pretzels and then excite everyone who has that weird brain disorder. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of brain disorders, um, we were... (laughs) (laughs) Talking about ourselves. We've been... Yeah, we've been talking about um, ourselves. All That's all we do. We talk about ourselves. No, we're going to do introductions. I'm going to introduce... I'm going to introduce someone, and then someone's going to introduce someone, and then someone's going to introduce someone, right? Is that yeah, how Yeah, because I think a lot of people don't really know who we are and what we do, and, you know, that, that can help impact, you know, how incredibly credible we are. Well, but, you know, right now we're just Burke, Kathy, and Mark. Just which three is, goobers watching movies. You're good. You're movie friends. We are that still. But we all, we're also, I think one thing that's unique to us is that we all work in the industry. We all live in Hollywood. You know, we, we, we sort of, and we've been here for quite a while and we are not jaded. I know some people who have come out here and, you know, they want to get into the business and they end up just hating Los Angeles. They, they get. I mean, granted, you is not easy to make it out here. It's not easy to survive out here in the industry and entertainment. It's, I mean, I, well, I can kind of understand how a hatred might develop. But, but it, I'll, I'll just say that for people coming out here, let's say they don't have a job. They say, I'm yeah. going to come out and be a screenwriter. I'm going to be an actor or something. That's what I do. Yeah. And, <laughs> And you have like I say, you have maybe six months worth of funds to live yeah. here. It's that is virtually impossible for that That's to impossible. work. I mean, you have to. It's like any other industry. You have to work to you know you have to work to pay the rent and then figure out how to make it. And the people that make it here, it's a combination of you know sticking it out, talent, and and if you have a job that you know, you should just do it. You know what I'm saying? Like it's like it's not. People are on the set, they hate the job on the set. It's like, to me, you're on the set of a show. I just learn, you know, use you know, it. Like, we always used to say when I first started working in the business, we always used to say that we would take jobs. We used to do TV, music videos, advertising, uh, series, day playing, all that kind of stuff. And we always used to say, um, an early uh, associate of mine, a prop master that I worked with a lot, said something I'll never forget. He said, if you take a job, you have to have one of three things or two of three things. And it's like you either have to make a lot of money, uh, have a lot of fun, or learn something important. And any any job that has at least two of those is good. We have all three of those with this podcast. Oh, wait, no, we are missing one very important one. We have two out of three. Yeah. (laughs) We're still looking for that. It's not fun. well. No. I haven't learned a damn thing. The money is too much. Yeah. Too too much much I don't know what to do with all the money pouring in. I know. (laughs) 
No, but we're lucky enough, and, and I'll, yeah. you know, I'll say that Kathy and Burke are really in the industry. I am, a, you know, an independent, you know, screenwriter. Yeah, you're living the dream, dude. No, I am. You're I, the I one doing, yeah. But you guys are also <laughs> doing pretty cool stuff. When we're I, doing Kathy, cool. <laughs> Kathy, you work, you know, uh, you you do cool movie and TV posters. You have been for many years, and I still love it. And I'm not jaded about that. Yeah, I mean, I love if it. you look at, you know, the Jackie Brown poster, right? Quentin Tarantino. Kathy. I'm. I feel very like that felt very satisfying. to know I'm in that canon that I'm part of the Tarantino yeah. family. <laughs> well, you oh, years ago worked on um, Reservoir Dogs promotion too. One so of my you, first jobs here, I yeah, worked on Reservoir Dogs. That's amazing. Working on sketches, sketch ideas, and and logos, which yeah. the logo pretty much made it all the way through. Yep. Yep. And that famous poster for the the ABC show Lost. Lost. Oh, yeah. you know that was my Lost baby. Promotion. That's that's Kathy. a that's almost a podcast in and of itself because working on that show was so unique because how they approached marketing was unlike any other show. Because most shows you have to know what's gonna happen, you have to market it to people, you have to sell the season, but they would not tell us anything that was right. happening. So there was a lot involved in that and just, you know, some of the drama and the behind the scenes, you know, mm-hmm. stuff's it's pretty it's it was great. But I you know, it, eventually it ends up a big lineup because everyone has to be the same size. And there's 600 <laughs> so, people in the cast. Yes. I think my the record, I think, was the Lost Finale poster had, like, I think 32 people in it. And they all had to be the same size. Same so size. that's why you'll see this tiny, teeny lineup of 30 people. I didn't mean, it didn't have to be that way, but it did have to But be that, that became way. a look, you know, that became and sort of the look, style. And it still looks good. I mean, yeah. it, that's the testament up. to your talents. So. It's, it's the look. Like, it's funny, sometimes we'll... Be, you know, when we work on jobs now, um, we'll show scrap like ideas that we like that you know to get a direction on a poster or you know on a TV ad or whatever. And I'll see the lost art pop up, and I'm like, oh, I'm scrap. <laughs> I'm, I'm your inspiration. That's good. Life. Yeah, it's so funny. And then Burke, Burke is also in the industry. For many moons. Many yeah. moons. And he does, he, he like is in the trenches with it. Like I'm kind of on the outside of the trenches, selling the trenches, but Burke's doing the well, trenches. Well, that's always been kind of funny with you and me. We've worked on the same shows before. Like <laughs> Agents of Shield. Agents of Shield. I work on the actual show and then you work on the promotion. So while I'm working on the show, you're not working on it. And then when I'm done with it, you start promoting it. You and know? start doing the photo shoots and putting all the people in the same space. And when I'm on hiatus. And then when sure. you're on hiatus, you know, we're making yeah. the show. But, you know, we, we ended um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So recently. Yeah, uh, the only season sad. I missed was this last season. I worked on all the seasons until that. So I did a lot of the key art up to that. Worked on it. Well, season six just ended, and season seven is kind of basically mm. in the can. Yeah, mm. and uh, it just okay, went to the two then <laughs> went to the 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 series wrap party last uh, or a couple weeks see. ago. That must have been see. emotional. It was, yeah, yeah. always. Yeah, wrap parties are a thing that um, you know when you work with people like Kathy was saying in the trenches. You know, you you feel like you have. Um, you know, war stories and remember. Well, you're, you're a family because you're yeah. going through some intense times and then some, and then there's a gratification yeah. and then there's a, it, it invariably ends. And, and then all know. of a sudden it's like you break up. You never see these people again. Everybody goes their separate ways. And it's you, you develop a really heavy respect for a lot of people too, because you mm-hmm. see um, on a good show. I mean, I spent a, a good chunk of my career working on absolute garbage with people who were just there to get the paycheck and people who, would cheat and steal from other, you know, it was like, there's all this, there's, there is an ugly underbelly to Hollywood, of course, but you know, you get past that stuff, you work away from it and you start recognizing it. You start being able to smell shows like that yeah. <laughs> yep. and you're like, nah, not doing that, not getting near that because that is depressing. And so you work on better and better and better shows and you work up step, step, step. And when you get to the part where you're working on something like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., where you're literally surrounded by people who are all really talented, really good at what they do, enjoy being there, have a lot of um, a lot of really great ideas and everything is all coming together, you do become a family. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And so the, you work on, for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you do the visual effects. No, I do. I mean, I guess it's a visual effect, but I do the the computer screens and animation, um, what they call motion graphics, and a little bit of special effects. There was some special effects. Um, That's what you do on all shows you work on. 
like basically computer screens and kind of visual motion. Yeah, but I just did stuff. a I just did a painting for a show that I can't remember the name. Of. <laughs> well, maybe but apparently it's in the last shot of the final season. Okay. Somebody's That's doing funny. a painting of a beach or something. Cool. Oh, and I can't remember the name of it. But I I still do props every so often. I still have people who kind of call on me for. Props because yeah, I did props up, for twenty years. Yeah, yeah. That's where you started. I remember exactly. years ago we went to I, I visited you on the set of a movie in Cleveland. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, and you were the prop master. Or is that the dragon? Movie? I have no, I have uh, no. no memory of oh, that okay. film. I got to go on the set. Of Alex Mack, take that, Devin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're out there, Devin. I know you are. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it was fun to walk around on the set of. Uh, Alex Mack. Oh, yeah. We shot the kids in that show with rats, and we put yep. them in the rat magazine. Yeah. Got rats and drove That's around in not the not going to mean anything to anyone. How about our great day, Burke and I, uh, as extras on a set of uh, Army of Darkness? That's right. Yes. That's an extra good one. Yes. Mark and I were, were angry peasants throwing potatoes <laughs> and rocks at Bruce Campbell <laughs> so in Army of Darkness. And Ash was in the, the stock, you know, being beaten by the, uh, you know, with our, uh, you know, Cardboard uh, or styrofoam uh, rocks. And you can talk about the, the glamour of being an extra on a set like that. Oh. Where it was fucking hot, and you just had like M&Ms to eat, and they're all melting. Yeah, it was up in Valencia or <laughs> something. But you know my favorite part? I was in the front. I was like featured in the front throwing potatoes at Bruce Campbell when he went by. And um, I actually was was directed <laughs> by Sam Raimi. I was there. <laughs> yeah. And you know what he said? It's a pretty proud moment in my life as an actor. He said... <laughs> He said that I wasn't um, that I wasn't doing really good, and that I should move to the back. <laughs> hey, you! How good do you have to be as a peasant throwing rocks? Apparently, I wasn't selling it. <laughs> I, you know, I have an Army of Darkness story too, where I went to the Army of Darkness set. It was in Hollywood. They were um, it was green screen stuff. Oh yeah, and they had some sets built there and um, intro vision. And I think that was Sam, like rear projection. Right, yes. yeah, it was, it was. that's right. It was, it, it was projection. And Sam Raimi said he he we were introduced, and he goes. Oh, do you need anything? Do you want some coffee? And I'm like, yeah. I thought he was going to send someone to get it. He goes and <laughs> makes my Aww. coffee. So I'm following him. And he goes, do you want any cream or sugar in that? And I'm like, I can't believe he's making me coffee. It was so weird. He was super nice. He was, he was actually nice. really nice yeah. to me when he, he told me nice. to get to the back of the crowd. <laughs> he was very friendly. I think it kind of was hard for him to have to say that to me. But yeah. apparently I just wasn't selling the angry peasant. In me, I didn't have an angry peasant inside of me. You're not an angry but peasant, you're, you're, Bert. Yeah. You're not an angry You're guy. more a benevolent mm. peasant. You kind of had a smile. You were kind of like giving a thumbs up. I was looking right you at were, the camera like of, Pee Wee Herman. You were yeah. purposely not hitting Bruce Campbell. You were like un- you were underhanded, like slow yeah. lobs, like just barely. <laughs> I don't want to hurt him. <laughs> Poor Bruce, he's so pretty. Or actually, it might have been because when he walked by, I was like shouting. I was like, I really like Evil Dead too. <laughs> Can I get a photo? <laughs> Put this guy in the back, please. Remember yeah. me at the Fangoria con- convention? Yeah, yeah remember? Oh, hey, no. hey. Lame. Put him in the back. Yeah. You're such nerds. But, oh. you know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't asked to leave the set. I was just asked to sort of move to the back mm. of the crowd of peasants. Oh. But anyway, that's why you can't see me in the movie. Well, you don't see any peasants, really. I yeah. mean, it no. goes pretty fast right, through there. right. Yeah. It's okay, yeah. you guys. You still have the story. That's why it's such a, uh, such a short running time. This, pe- <laughs> this peasant stuff is unacceptable. Yeah. These peasants suck. They're all hot and they're eating melted chocolate. No wonder they suck. <laughs> but I looked yeah. like I have a I have a polar I have my uh, wardrobe hair makeup wardrobe Polaroid of, of. Oh, that's cool. I look like a sort of a dirty Captain Kangaroo or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, so anyway, that's, and then Mark, did we talk yeah. about you yet? No, I mentioned, uh, you know. I'm just kidding. And so Mark is also in the industry. He is a screenwriter, and he has a short film already to his credit. And that you wrote and produced. Wrote yeah, and, produced. Wrote and, and you produced. produced some other stuff, right? Yeah, I produced a couple other shorts that are kind of out there in the festival circuit. You're not going to yeah. name them, or uh, well, the short <laughs> film that I wrote and uh, is out. It just hit its uh, got into its twentieth festival. So crazy! Called That's pretty Breathe. cool. That yeah. must feel so good. It's it's cool. I went to the oh, Las Vegas Film okay. Festival last week. And That's that like a really dream. Cool. Like I just think it's so cool you're doing it. It's neat because you're meeting other filmmakers mm-hmm. and that there's a passion is there. So it's it's a great way to meet people and hopefully get a little bit of you know. And say, hey, you know, let's you know try to get some financing for for other stuff. And so I'm serious, long- you know, we talked to Eric Christopher Myers, <clears throat> the director of Butterfly Kisses, mm-hmm. and he inspired me. We need to do a movie. 
All of us. A short. Come on, Mark. You know how to do it. That is one of those well, things that on. is so easy, much easier it. to say than do. <laughs> you guys to tell are you. so lame. Well, I think there's stuff that's, you know, we have percolating. I yeah. Think we need certainly... to do it. We have a short film. We have, you've been in a couple need, of short yes. films, Kathy. I, I have. In... <laughs> Come on, the one with the keys? Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was an actress once in a, in a few short films. That's true. And no one's going to see this. <laughs> years ago, we lived in Burbank. Uh, we were all roommates, and we did a short film, right? In one, one. <laughs> is that is that lost to the? Uh, no, ether? it's it, I I have it, but I don't think our listeners are going to see it. We would well, lose will, all credibility. That, that will never be shown, but it does show that we have, we can all we sit can do down it. and watch have, it. But we have it in we our can blood. Do it. Yeah. So. Come on. Okay, but okay. So everyone knows. Pretty soon, you will be seeing a short film directed, produced, and acted by all of us. Oh. <laughs> so the point is, we've all not started. something new, not this old stuff. So we talk. We do this podcast because we not only love movies, and mm-hmm. a lot of people love movies, but we sort of live movies. Yep. You know. And the thing is, I've known, like I was saying before, I've known so many people who come out here and they work in the business, and they just think of it as a paycheck, and mm-hmm. they just, they just want to get it done, and and uh, they kind of have a real cynical view of films. And yeah, you can. It's easy to have a cynical view of the filmmaking process, and you know, everybody always uses the word Hollywood as a sort of derisive term like oh that's so hollywood that means something bad but to me that means something cool i love hollywood i love movies i understand that any industry anybody listening to this can tell you dark horrible cynical stories about the business and industry they work in exactly movie business is the same it's Mm -hmm. just that people tend to have this really weirdly wrong vision of what it is they think that it's not going to be a lot of work first of all <laughs> probably more work than most There's, things i mean if you're on a set or involved in a, in a production i mean it's 14 hour days is yeah. sort of at it's night sort of sometimes like overnight yeah. like oh. it's the hardest you'll ever work in your life and and you're never know the thing is it's it's radically different from a lot of other jobs where you're basically doing kind of the same thing over and over and over. One one thing I was used to say about props was not only do I not know what I'm going to be doing tomorrow, I don't know what I'm going to be doing in five minutes. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. and that was one of the things I loved about it. I got kind of addicted to that you feeling. You got to be quick on your feet. And also if you're if you're a person that needs structure in their work life, yeah, that's not it. Forget it. Nope. It's not that it's, and if you have, well, you know, and sometimes it affects your personal life and, you know, relationships mm-hmm. and it's, it's just, you know, it's not for everybody. So people come in with this, Hey, I'm going to be, I'm going to make movies. Sounds glamorous. It's Easy. work. Well, they have an idea so. in their mind of what it's like that they're going to sit in a director's chair and tell actors what to do and that they're going to talk with actors and hang out with celebrities and make a movie and that they're going to go to the, to the screening and it's going to be awesome. And they're going to have, you know, all these things that you see. But in fact, the work part of it, which fortunately for me is the part that I'm most fascinated by. I love the process. I, I love the machine. I still get a huge kick out of going on a set. I've been on a billion sets for, you know, decades. But every time I walk on a set, I still feel this sense of magic. Like I'm in make-believe land and these people, sometimes it strikes me how weird my job is. When I go onto a set and I'm standing inside a fake airplane and there's people in there pretending to be flying in space and there's a guy who is an alien. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and, well, you love film. Yeah. And so I think some people get jobs and, and they they lose their love for it or never had love for it. There was yeah, just a I job. Think you yeah. got to have the passion or you will never be successful or even enjoy what you're doing. And it's a magic doing. show. It I've is. always We always used to talk about the idea of detail and in things that make it world building. We've talked about world building. And the idea, one of the things I love the most about film film working in filmmaking is the idea of world building and creating all the details that go together into something that makes you feel like this is a lived-in, real place. And sometimes that what we used to call um, detail on the molecular level. We used to call it molecular detail, where there were details that you knew that the viewers would never see, but that the actors might see, or or the people, the other people on the crew might see it, but. A lot of times, a lot of times, the actors will see some tiny little detail, and they'll tell me that was so awesome. I loved that because I really felt like I was in a real thing. I really felt like this was a real. Like I used to make wallets for people, like put things in wallets for certain actors, and 
they would they loved it even though there was no wallet in the film they had it mm-hmm. it was like a talisman like a magical sure. thing that they had in their pocket this is my character's wallet right. these are right. his things yeah well i mean that's it's all about suspending disbelief and also believing what you're doing especially as an actor so and you're creating an illusion it's a magic like, show when i was in my short films it was the same way <laughs> You had wallets, right? <laughs> I had Did my I make whole, you a wallet? <laughs> I had my, my job, you know, that you never saw. I had, yeah. It was, well, it, <laughs> that illusion is everything. Like when you go to a set and a lot of people, friends of mine have gone on sets and they say, oh, that, that was shot here. Mm-hmm. That, that's not at all what I thought it would be like. Well, that's yeah. the illusion. Like, yeah, yeah that, was, that illusion was made right here, right, right next to everything else. The that's, set that's ends the, right off the top of the screen right. and right so to the weird. left and the right. Yeah. And it, there's... Guys sitting over there, you know, and you're like, in short pants. <laughs> yeah, it, it, my dad went uh, was on Martha's Vineyard when Jaws was being filmed. Oh, like in '74, and they had all kinds of. He was there for a day watching the shark, and they, it, it wasn't working. And right. He said he came back was laughing. This thing is going to be terrible. This is going to be ridiculous. This is so yeah. silly. This is no way. And then like we all saw, it and he couldn't believe how scary he was. That's great filmmaking. I'm always yeah. amazed because you know you go to sets like I, I go to a lot of sets because we're working on the posters or the key art, and you go there sometimes to shoot the cast there or just to get a feel for the show or you know just whatever you any information you can get is always helpful when you're doing that because you need to get the same thing like the oh yeah darwin has something to say about this all the sets he's been on um but you know that kind of stuff is important but i'm always when i see that i'm like first of all i'm amazed it ever works yeah and then when you see even just dailies or the rough cut you're like oh my god is this ever gonna work right and then it does and you're just blown away yeah it's crazy and you yes. realize how, how every person on the set has something to do. That's yeah. the magic of Hollywood. That's why I love it. Because it's, it's even while you're making it, it doesn't seem like it's going to work. <laughs> and every part of being on the set, even I've done some craft service work on sets. And it's just fun to be there for an hour or two because you're just you're in the vibe for a few hours. You're there. You got through security. You're there, you're making the movie, yeah. and then you see like other stuff going on, and it's a very vibrant experience. Yeah, energy it's, is it's, the energy is really often. fun. So if people don't like that, or they don't like the long hours, right. or they don't like the particular job they're doing, whatever that is, then they're probably not going to last. So we probably talk some people into it, and then talk some people out of it. Who are yeah. listening well, to this maybe right that's now. not a bad thing. That's a good you know, thing. You know. Really examine what you want from this experience. Well, too many people have come in here and yeah. have gone back back Sorry. home and thinking, "Oh, I failed." You didn't really fail. No, it's just more. That's like, just Hollywood, man. You, know. you got to take failure. That's that's yeah. part of it yeah. is failure. And you 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 have to be strong. You know, I mean, I've had the most fun times of my working life. I've had on film and television sets, just feeling like you're in that family you know and you're making something really good and everybody around you is really cool and creative and you're inspired by everybody mm-hmm. i mean i love being around people who are better than me you know yeah. <laughs> and that i learn from and i've been around some great people i've worked with some really amazing people directors and creative people and art directors and all these people who i've just absorbed as much as i possibly can from I've and that to me is just loads of fun. And then I've also had some of the absolute worst times of my life. Didn't Kevin Spacey <laughs> throw a chair at you or something? I, yeah. I, I'm bringing that up. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, that's, I think that's why that I wasn't really bad though. That was, that was a great experience. Yeah. I think it's why um, I enjoy uh, when we talk to filmmakers who are just like on the first or second film. Because there's that still that excitement, that passion, and this sort of like anything is possible, you know. I just and they're so inspiring. I love yeah. doing that. We've talked to a few that has been really cool. Yeah, it's a it is a fun business for the right kind of person. It but is. if if you know, I, I guess it's like any other thing. If you have um, sort of silly expectations, you well, might be I disappointed. Think, I mean, just a just a practical <laughs> thing is if you come here. You know, get a just get a job. Yeah, pay your bills. I mean, whatever that is. You know, it's a classic actor, a you know, waiter or a bartender or whatever. But get something. That's what I you know that I do, and that can keep me going and keep that dream going. Or well, in the immortal words of Britney Spears, <laughs> <laughs> you got to work, bitch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just got to. Well, get a yeah. job in to the get office. Over the idea that you think you're only a filmmaker and that's all you do, because if that's how you're going to make your living, 
you will limp away beaten. Plus, and, you know, plus there good. are so many creative, talented people in the city right. you yes. know, that are doing other things other than being in movies. Yes. Right. Just and, about all of them. <laughs> yeah, and and they might be in a sh- uh, they might do a little play like a little thing in in the in, in the valley or something, or they might do a little comedy thing. They might do yeah. open mic. I mean, that's you know that's how you keep it going. Right. You can't just all of a sudden become. You're not. Uh, there's no more Schwab's. Uh, you know, drug counselor. Right. There's. Uh, you know. There really <laughs> never was, to be honest. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've been discovered. It's all over. My search is done. Yeah, the Lana Turner thing doesn't happen. No, it doesn't. Right. But the but the thing is that like I know people who have. You know, we really want to make films. They really want to make films. And, you know, you talk about film school. Film school is great. Yeah, go to film school. But I think spending a week on a real film set is going to give you a lot of film school. And I know people who have been so smart, they want to get involved in films. And they'll take a gig in the accounting office. Because learning about how a film gets made from that perspective, from how the accounting works... Where the money goes, how the money gets spent, how budgets are divided out and things like that, that's important. And if you're a director, I've known the best directors I've ever worked with are people who have worked in all departments. People that started in craft service, like you said. You know, I've known people that I've worked with directors who started out in, you know, Hair and makeup, or wardrobe, well, studio or studio executives start in mail rooms. I mean, that's not even mail room. That, that is true. Or they're PAs. You know, yeah, the PAs. They gra- right. learn a lot as a PA. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just just mm-hmm. on a set and was all uh, CSUN students, Cal State yeah. Northridge, and they have a film program there. And they're just getting incredible experience doing whatever. Yeah, moving furniture. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, you know, putting the cable down or whatever it is. And it's just like, and then also learning how to do it, put together a budget. Yeah, that is everything. Like no production gets made without knowing exactly how much thing, this thing is going to cost, where the money goes, and yeah. who gets it, and how things happen. That's the thing. A lot of um, a lot of the worst directors I've worked with are people who don't know where stuff comes from. They they sort of feel like they can snap their fingers and have a prop or some sort of an animated graphic or something. Mm. And they're like, they didn't, they've never worked in actual production in the trenches, like you were saying. So they feel like, Oh, don't you just have one of those on your truck? Yeah. No. Yeah, we always carry it around with us. <laughs> yeah. What hey. you thought up in your head, I don't have in my yeah. In my <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> there, we've gone quite a rant about the, uh, well, uh, we're going to do more of that though, because there's uh, endless to say about it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a thing that's really, I mean, I've worked in the business for decades and decades, but I still love it. I can Burke talk about 1, it. Burke thousand years old. Forever, yeah. I've, <laughs> he did uh, Potemkin. He did all the visual yeah. effects for that. <laughs> Sergey was Charlie so Chaplin. great to work with. <laughs> all those those stairs, that was all, you know, done in the... That was my idea, <laughs> actually. The stairs scene. Yeah. That's raw, too. Yeah. <laughs> Max Shrek was your first roommate, I think. <laughs> yeah, Max and I had a house, little little house, little he duplex in Burbank. He, he was younger. That was a, that was a bald cap. He yeah, full head of hair. He was actually a very handsome fellow. <laughs> I was his stand-in for a while. Too. He was pretty immature though. He liked to party a lot. So. <laughs> oh, I'm not that old. <laughs> Decades and decades. Yeah. It's like the hunger. He's a vampire. He never ages. <laughs> but I did play the baby in Rosemary's Baby. That was me. That's pretty cool. <laughs> that would be really cool. Yeah. Somebody had to be the baby. Somebody had to. Somebody got to be a baby. <laughs> but, you know, we're talking about old movies now all of a sudden. And we're also yeah, we doing do these segment. little segments, right? Is that a good segue? That's a good sure. segue. Have I segued properly? I think properly so. Segue. Even though I feel like this entire conversation was pretty much all of our segments wrapped into one. Yeah. I know it kind of was. This was yeah. almost like an entire podcast. Yes. But we could do a weekly podcast just about what it's like to work in the industry. I think, I think people we would should be do interested. more of that because like, yeah. there's a lot, when you think about it, you start yeah. digging in. Oh, that's kind of an interesting story to tell. Yeah, it you is. Know? Oh, and I could I could bend ears with stories. I have. A, uh, you know. Burke has many. Burke yeah. has there's, many. Yeah. Involving Kevin Spacey. <laughs> no, no. There's all that's the, actually the least, the least I interesting. Think, I think your Margot Kidder story is kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah we'll get into that yeah. next time. Yeah. Well, I want to highlight though. that. I don't know more. if I want to talk about that. Okay, so we'll, we'll do a different, funnier one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, what's your uh, old timey movie today? <laughs> we should watch so should we set it up so we have the, the segment <laughs> intro the intro music we should do like an old timey kind of uh the organ grinder yeah. with the monkey yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> what 20, was i gonna say 23 skidoo anyway <laughs> well should right. we put the the little segment intro yeah okay let's do it like right a little here short hit yeah okay here it comes 
Whoa. Nice. Cool. Cool. So very, cool. very cool. Cool, 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 cool. So what do you got for us, Burke? So I like old movies, right? Did you guys ever, did I ever tell what? you that? This is the first time here. I like this. old stuff. I like the old, old things. And we were talking about old movies and, and you know, you mentioned um, the battleship Pete Tompkin, I think. Um, Sergei Eisenstein, I think. He'd sort of invented a lot of the language of film mm-hmm. and created a lot of these things that people, we sort of take for granted these things like cuts, like cutaways from one actor to another. That's something that you couldn't do on stage and, and in theater. And when these people who made films, a lot of them came from theater and they knew about things, the actors knew about how to, how to act and everything, but they were, they came from the stage. So their acting was sometimes very broad. You know, they're acting to the back rows and the filmmakers had to sort of invent how to show a, how to show an event, a thing happening with a with a camera, and some of those early filmmakers are pretty amazing. When you look back on what they had to kind of invent, and you realize, wow, is that really the first time there was a cutaway <laughs> or a close up or a? Mm-hmm. And there's filmmakers like Fritz Lang, sure, who I really love. And if you haven't seen the movie Metropolis, it if mm. you know you're not into uh, old films for some reason, watch it anyway. It's really beautiful. It's beautifully shot. It's really fascinating. It's compelling, beautifully designed. But Fritz Lang is an interesting director to follow through his career. He started off with these sort of big budget things in his home country. And then in America, he sort of made some lower budget film noir type things that are um, really interesting. There, and there's two that I wanted to talk about because a couple of actors are really Ooh. like. Huh? <laughs> but you? I'm going to talk to them to, about them together. Yeah. What was that? No, I, I said, go ahead. I, I'm wondering what, if one of the films is one I'm thinking of. Go ahead. What? Mark is psychic. He's going to try and exercise uh, his M? psychic powers. Did he do M? Yeah, he did. With, Ooh, that's a with good Peter Laurie. That's yeah. a great movie. Yeah. I want to do a whole okay, thing about that one. Okay, we're doing three now. <laughs> no, I want to save yeah. M. That's okay. a good one. That is a good one. There was also a remake of M in the 50s that was actually pretty good really? too. Hmm. But yeah, the one with Peter Lorre is disturbing. Yeah. And but he made in 1944 and 1945 he made two films that are very similar to each other, which is interesting. They're both different enough to where you can watch them and enjoy both of them separately. But the first one he made was called Woman in the Window and it had uh, Edward G. Robinson, cool, and Joan Bennett. Cool. And Dan Duryea, who I really like, and I might even do an impersonation of him later, but maybe not. <laughs> but those three actors, he um, he used again. You just, 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 just went into the tunnel there for a second. You were in the third man for a second. Yeah. We are going back in time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, the, he used those same three actors in another film the next year, 1945, in a movie called Scarlet Street which has a lot of uh, parallels to Woman in the Window. And Woman in the Window, um, Edward G. Robinson plays sort of a middle-aged guy. His family leaves town, and he's, you know, talking to his friends about how, you know, about life and about being middle-aged and not living the dream and all that kind of stuff. And then he leaves, walking down the street, and he sees this painting in a window of this beautiful woman, Joan Bennett, you know, and this gorgeous painting in the window. And then he meets her. And it's a weird kind of a magical, strange story, and he gets involved with her, and there's, there's all these, um, you know, there's also intrigue and in him, should he or shouldn't he, you know, have an affair with this beautiful woman who's a lot younger than him and a lot more beautiful than somebody like Edward G. Robinson might be associated with, you know. Mm-hmm. But then the... Um, I won't give it away. It's, a, it's got a um, sort of a notoriously interesting ending um, I've never heard of it. It's really oh, interesting. Yeah. Woman in the Window. Yeah, it's beautifully shot, of course. Joan Bennett a, from Dark Shadows. Yes, from Dark Shadows. And a lot of other stuff. She's just great. When she yeah. was younger, Suspiria. she... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She played a lot of um, really sort of femme fatale kind of women. Yeah. She was always really good as the kind of floozy that's trying to... You Which know, you would not think watching Dark Shadows I know. she would ever be floozy because she's very buttoned up. And, very you know, classy lady, yes, very like, matron yeah. of the house. Yes, exactly. Very queenly. But she's um, she's always kind of a likable femme fatale, though. She's not like one of those uh, horrible like Anne Savage in Detour, where she's just out to just destroy. She 
she seems to have a, a sort of a nice little um, undercurrent to her where you kind of like her, but you don't approve of what she's doing to poor Edward G. Robinson. Mm. She's kind of cheating him and dragging him along to try to get something. Are you giving something away? A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's Scarlet Street, where it's basically the same the same kind of a setup where there's a guy who, um, Edward G. Robinson, middle-aged guy, feeling a little bit down and unhappy with his life. He's, you know, his wife is is the standard film film noir um, archetype character of the shrewish wife. <laughs> oh, but he sits around the house complaining the whole right, time. Right, and yeah, yeah. yells at him because he likes to paint pictures, and she's like, why are you doing that? You're wasting your time. And, you Go know. do something useful. But then he meets Joan Bennett, who is... You know, gorgeous young woman who seems to be interested in, but she's interested in him because she thinks she is led to believe by a series of events and dialogue and whatnot that I won't go into. She is led to believe that he is a famous artist or that he can sell his paintings for a lot of money. She's a little bit unsophisticated Mm -hmm. because she went to a gallery and she said, some of those people are paying $1,000 for paintings and that's what you do. And he's trying to impress her. Well, kind of, yes. But um, anyway, her real boyfriend is Dan Duryea, who, of course, is the classic, you know... I mean, whenever you hear people doing an impersonation of a guy from a film noir, like a sleazy gangster kind of guy, it's always this guy, you know? He's like, Dan Duryea. And uh, he's got big dreams, and he really wants her to get this guy on, on her side and to lead him along so they can steal his paintings and make it look like she's the artist and make a lot of money off of this rube. This old man who who you know so vulnerable that they're exploiting him because of his he feels like you know he's finally got this beautiful woman to pay attention to him. It's very sad, but they're two very similar movies. They're film noir. They're dark. Um, Scarlet Street is interesting. I don't want to give anything away, but it has a has an aspect at the end of it that was very controversial because mm. somebody. Um, there were sort of codes and not regulations, but things that people stayed within certain boundaries. And if somebody did something really terrible, they always had to be punished for it. There always had to be kind of a, you know, ending in the film had to show that somebody didn't get away with something terrible, but somebody in this film gets away with something sort of, Mm. but it's dark. It's film noir. It's Edward G. Robinson is always good in everything he does. He's such a, interesting character and he was also an art collector in real life and he plays an artist and the paintings in this movie are really interesting they were done by the art director they were actually painted by the art director who's a who's a painter and you can tell there there um there's some skill and interesting ideas in the paintings but the characters in the film always react to them like they're weird like wow i've never seen a flower like that you know so i have a question yeah is it as good as velvet buzzsaw (laughs) <laughs> oh, a, a movie about the art world. Yeah, I like this movie a lot better than I, Velvet Buzzsaw, I, I must God, say. It's so hard to believe it would be better than that. But they're two, I mean, they're two interesting. It's <laughs> if interesting. If you haven't heard of our Velvet Buzzsaw episode, we hated yeah. that movie, by the way. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, we didn't hate it. We, we just, hated it. I hated it. We just, eh, I don't know. Hated it. It could have been so good. Could have been, yeah. It was one it of those kind so of things, and it was so not. So many missed yeah. opportunities. Yeah. But this movie sounds way better than that. Yeah, yeah the, and it's interesting that a director would make two films that have a very kind of similar similar vibe to them, a similar story, um, and without giving anything away, a similar kind of um, ending, sort of, one year apart, with the same cast. Yeah, both both huh. films have Edward G. Robinson. Because so, like, when you Bennett. were describing, I'm like, which movie is it? Because yeah, the same they're, they're both they're both very similar. Scarlet Street and Woman in the Window, and um, okay. Scarlet Street's based on a French novel and a play. Ooh, fancy! And, yeah, it's fancy, but Marcy. it's um very cool. It's in English. So yeah. the two movies are again Scarlet Street. Which I think Scarlet Street is the better film. Uh, that's 1945. And then The Woman in the Window is 1944. And that one's good, too. Um, some people might be a little turned off by the ending. But, you know, watch it and you'll know what I'm talking about. Oh. But okay. of that hey, kind people. of ending, this may have been among the first. So it wasn't a cliche at the time. You have your marching orders. No, it's a bit of a cliche. But yeah, watch Scarlet Street. That one's just full of great characters. Dan Duryea is amazing in it. He, he's he got some classic film noir dialogue in that about, 
wanting to go out to Hollywood and make it as a as a movie star. Oh, boy. And he's like, what do those guys got that I don't got, you know? Yeah. I'm so perfect. I don't have to work hard. Yeah. They just, <laughs> they just act tough and they get a paycheck. <laughs> I can so do that. Bad. Oh, my. But there's, that's, my, that's my segment. That was good. That was cool. very good. Kathy, what about you? What do you have all to right, uh, so, share with us? All right. So we're going to talk about movie posters and trailers because that's what I do. All I right. love trailers <laughs> and posters. And here's so, here's the Kathy's man. intro. So cool. <laughs> we're, we're still working on it. Yeah, that, that might be amended based on uh, Kathy's preference. Yes, I, I, I'm, I'm changing it up. I'm, I'm trying to decide. I'm very indecisive. Well, you yeah. have to tell me what you want the title to be, and maybe it will be fixed before this. <laughs> we got to figure out. You know, you guys figure out the title. Anyway, <laughs> okay. somebody send in suggestions on the title for my segment. It'd be Kathy's Key Art Corner, Kathy's Movie Marketing, Mania. I don't know. Um, so I want to talk about Mindhunter season two because that's about to come out. Oh, and I don't great know, show! Has everyone seen season one? Oh yeah. oh yeah, yes. Um, it's basically based on uh, John Douglas's book Mindhunter. That was um, he's a famous, sort of famous FBI profiler. Uh, he wrote about ex- his experiences with actually defining the term serial killers and actually right. making that a class mm-hmm. to be recognized in the legally. Um, so he's he did that and he's he's written some other books. He's his books are great. They're fascinating. So I've always been a big fan of his. Um he also was uh the sort of inspiration for Silence of the Lambs. Robert Ressler might disagree, <laughs> but yeah. he's another profiler who's kind of in competition with John Douglas on who gets credit for what. Right. Um hmm. but Mindhunter's for sure Don, John Douglas all the way. So when you see his book out there now, it now has the new key art on it. <laughs> because that's what we do. Um so the we're, we'll play the trailer and then we will talk about it. January 1974. They just moved in two months prior. My partner and I were first on the scene. He was feeling for a light when something bumped him. That's when we found the little girl hanging from this pipe. Jesus. I found someone to take over who will be very good for the BSU. He wants to expand the unit and he intends to make our approach practice. Tell me, who's the one you want more than anything? Manson. I'll get you, Manson. This is $100,000, and it's all yours if you help us identify the persons behind the murders of our children in Atlanta. Another child reported missing in Atlanta. I'm sending you both. I want you there for the duration. To all these children, one kill. I believe that to be the case. It's statistically rare for serial killers to cross racial lines. Sir. It's also statistically significant that the Klan kills black people. You get him out of there. If he blows this, gun will rethink his investment. I'm asking you as the leader of your department, what did Holden say that so offended the city? We need to stay focused. If you're distracted, I have some things to deal with at home. It's personal. She had someone else's underwear stuffed down her throat. It's 10.30. Do you know where your children are? This is one predator. What if you're wrong? I'm not. You arrogant, self-serving twerp. We can't have tunnel vision. What evidence is there to suspect the Klan? Son, we've got 19 dead black children. You telling me that's a coincidence? One more thing. Manson is small. Like, really small. Try not to stare. Okay. Neat. All right. So, as you can tell by listening, it there's a lot of the Atlanta child murders in this. Um, that's still a relatively uh, controversial case. I know a lot of people don't think that Wayne Williams committed all the murders. I remember that whole thing. I sure. Yeah. Um, I don't think he was uh, actually convicted of all. I think it was only three. Yeah. But there's like supposed like to be. They apparently closed a lot of cases in his name, uh, like fifteen or something, like a huge amount. Of, we'll know when we watch the show what they decide. <laughs> but a lot of cases were closed due to um, them just pinning it on this guy. Yeah. Um, a lot of it was based on the profiling, which, uh, as you hear in the trailer, that they uh, mentioned that you know serial killers usually don't operate outside their uh, race. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know the fact they were all African American children, he's an African American killer. He must have done them all. That's how they looked at it. Right. Um, but the other big news in the trailer is you get to see Kemper again, Ed Kemper, who was received really well in the first season. He's yeah. another really you know pretty. Under the radar serial killer for the most part, not like Bundy, but just as horrifying, if not oh, yeah. more. Um, he was considered the co-ed, co-ed killer, but he's he was six nine. 
this no, guy. That's... So they found a guy who's perfect for this role. Oh, I'm blanking on his name. But... He, is, he was so good in that. Because so we've seen actual documentaries with real footage of Kemper. And this guy has obviously watched the footage and studied yes. Kemper's mannerisms and stuff. And Kemper, you're right. He is like Bundy in that he, people trusted him. Yeah. I'll always remember the in the documentary where Kemper says... Um, when all the murders were happening, they were telling people, don't hitchhike. Don't let, don't let yourself, don't let any of your daughters or anybody you care about hitchhike. Do not hitchhike unless the person has a university sticker on their car. And of course, Kemper is like, of course I had a university sticker Because his my mom car. worked at the university. Yeah. Right. Which was his whole impetus, and he even admits it. If you watch his interviews, which actually there's a documentary out there, when you search for it, the John Douglas talks about talking to... Ed Kemper, which mm. is, you know, then they do a lot of depicting that in Mindhunter season one. Yeah. Um, Cameron Britton, by the way. Cameron Britton. Cameron Britton, that's yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, he's yeah. so yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Really so good. So he has that same kind of hulking, like he towers over these guys. And he's just, he has the same look. I mean, it's such, such a great job. And he also seems to be one of those really dangerously intelligent people. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's, a, he's a horrible murderer, but he seems like he's smarter than you. Yes. You know, like there's, he's really smart. And that's right. what makes him so scary to me. And I always remember in the, the documentary I watched, the Don, John Douglas's interview, he goes, I liked Ed. He was really, not, you'd talk to him and you'd sort of forget who you're talking right. to, which was sure. his strength. Right. Yeah. Right. Very disarming. He just looked like a big nerd. He did right. not look dangerous. You know. Right. It um, looks so, like people I've known. I yeah. mean, I've known people, nerdy people like that. You Shorter, know? <laughs> but definitely nerdy. Yeah. Um, so the the trailer definitely is is sticking very close to what people liked in the first season. It's pretty much nothing new here. It's like, um, it's it's comforting. I'm not saying nothing new here is in a bad way. It's actually in a good way because I love season one. I liked it sort of dark Fincher. You know, David Fincher produced this. Mm-hmm. That dark Fincher feeling, very very talky and slow moving, and just just you know they they kind of just take their time in there. Um, they also it looks like there's a lot of shots of uh, the agents having some emotional reactions to what they're doing, and there's like popping pills and just having sort of breakdowns because this was a, you know. It seems kind of by rote now because we've heard of profilers, but then these guys trying to get inside the heads of killers was, you know, no one really had done that before specifically. Um, and so he, they were having all kinds of emotional reactions to that. So I like that they're going into that. It's but, a tough job. I mean, even their office is sort of this like basement-y yeah. sort right. of like sad place yeah. and it's just death and destruction. And that's where they, that's where you start seeing where they're opening it up in season two where they get a guy who, um, they get a new, uh, I guess, director and he's believing in their project. So he gives them these new big offices and he's opening it up and throwing money at them. Mm. So that's sort of promising a bigger, bolder <laughs> mine hunters. Right. Um, I think one of my favorite scenes in it is the final scene where you should see Ed Kemper uh, standing in the room with them, and he's like talking about them meeting Manson, and mm. he goes, "Manson's really short. He doesn't. <laughs> he's really don't look at him. Don't." <laughs> he's like kind of warning them, and he's putting his hand at like waist level, his right. waist level, because he's six nine. You know, Manson was five two, so he was like right. a child, like child size. So it was kind of a cute, just a little dark humor in the show showing that. Um, so it looks like it's going to be really good. I thought the trailer was really effective. And what, do you know when it drops on Netflix? I six? think it's the 16th, if I'm not sure. I should know that. But now here's the question as a for you as a designer. If you were tasked with um, a film like this, like if you were given this series and knowing what you know about the first season and you were given this to do promotions, where would you start? What would, what's your, how does your thought process work when you start thinking about what's the best way to sell this product? Well, it's the, the first thing um, as desires you want to do, because a lot of times you go out with uh, a teaser poster, so you don't necessarily have to be as explicit and informative as you are if you're doing the final. So you would think something conceptual, which means maybe no people in it, something more symbolic. Um, which is exactly what they did. They did a, a ink blot, but the ink blot's actually in blood. Mm. Um, which I cannot count the times I have pitched an ink blot as right. an idea yeah. for. But for this show, I feel like it's is really accurate because it literally really is about the psychology of serial killers. So while it wasn't necessarily a fresh idea, it was a perfect concept for um, a, a show like this because it's all about the psychology of killers. But they add the blood aspect to make you know give a little hint of the violence that they're. And this one you're saying centers on mostly on the Atlanta child murders. 
mostly, but I, they also mentioned Manson, and there's going and they mentioned a couple of other killers who aren't as um, name brand friendly. <laughs> because the ink blot is interesting with that, because I think there was a lot of. I remember at the time it was, I lived in Atlanta for a while, and bef- I think this all happened before I moved there, and it was interpreted so differently, like an ink blot. You know, different people. I remember hearing that it was a that the Atlanta child murders, you know, quote, what was being called the Atlanta child murders, that it had been fabricated because they, if you, if you just started counting child murders and only counted child murders of African-American children, you could do a daily thing on the news saying, and another one, and another one. And that the idea was that if you could draw attention to any type of killing, that you could turn it into a thing. Now, I don't know if that was true with this one or not, and I have a feeling that there were somebody was killing children because it seems like a lot of a lot of murders, but that a lot of uh, that certain aspects of the case were media created yeah, in fact, you know it's interesting to say that because there is a controversy because a lot like you say a lot of african American children were dying, and they weren't necessarily dying because they're being killed, or right. a lot of them were missing. And so it was very handy to find a super rare. There aren't a lot of African American serial killers. They just just don't exist. There's just a few um, big ones. It feels <laughs> I mean, like a scapegoating. Yeah. Thing, so it feels thing, a little like I said, like they're attributing. I'm interested to see if they go into the controversy or if they go into it straight with them solving the murders with their profile, which is basically what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, but they really needed to get somebody for this. They had oh, to because course. it was really bad publicity, especially yeah. when people start counting up the bodies. And, yeah. And also and made every it look night like, on the news, I remember there was a thing that would show up mm-hmm. and it was like, there has been another child murder. Yeah, right. This brings the total up to, you know. And this is a major yeah. city. Yeah. And it's a big thing. You and know? think how bad your police force looks when it's not solving child murders. Of course. And there was a lot of talk about people, a lot of people saying, you know, you're not putting enough effort into this because they're black kids, you know, they're, mm. you're, if these were white kids, you'd be, you'd solve it, but you'd have it solved by now, you know? And exactly. I remember hearing that a lot. And so I feel like the police were really under a lot of pressure to get someone. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like they, you know, this guy, Wayne, what little I know about the, I mean, I don't know everything about this case, but we've seen firsthand cases yeah. where there were murders that, where they, you know, there was no progress being made on actually solving the murders, but they needed someone. So they got someone who everyone would be happy with like, Oh, okay. It's over. They got him. They got the guy. Yeah. I'm I'm really, like I said, I'm really interested in seeing how they approach this because this was one of the big high profile cases where profiling was actually used. Mm. Like when they, their new, you know, their new classification was used. So it'll be interesting to see how, if they approach it from a, you know, skeptical point of view or if they're going straight at it, I'm assuming considering it's David Fincher and it's this kind of show and it's really emotionally complex that they'll probably, you know, they'll probably say, Hey, our profile is being abused or something. This isn't really fitting just one guy, you know, so who knows? I have no idea. I would think seems like it, but I'm very excited to see this. Yeah. Certainly more to the story. And that's what you're talking about showing in the design with the ink blot, that there's more hidden, hidden beneath and behind and under. And, you know, even the color choices, like, you know, a lot of people are, um, when you're doing designs for posters, depending on the tone people want, a lot of people don't want to see a lot of dark, you know, black or scary looking art because they feel like it'll turn off the audience. So, um, this show decided like the first season and went with black and white cast cell and it had the two major actors and then, you know, a scene of like a, you know, some, some tape recorders or something inside the, yes. you know, that's kind of like the opening montage. credit, yeah, right. Opening credits. Yeah. Exactly. It's a, it's that classic sort of like true detective had the silhouettes of people with, you know, right. um, stuff inside. Um, but, uh, you know, they aren't known actors. So it doesn't really matter if you see them, but I think for a first season, hu- giving it a human face, especially of a mind hunter, was probably important. But I know a lot of people that saw that and they didn't know what the show was about. They thought it was science fiction. Like a lot of people were turned off by the art, even though it was a huge Interesting. show. So I heard that that leveled at it a couple times, even though it was also kind of it was I think it was on a white background. So this oh. time I think they were going a little brighter. Um, they save the cost of a photo shoot with the actors by not having to do a shoot with actors involved. So they, they don't have to go through that again. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they want to freshen up the photography um, on a season two show like this because people might look different. The hair might be different or they just want a different lighting to make it look fresh. But, you know, you solve all that expense and all that problem by just 
doing conceptual sell, which is what they did. Mm. Um, they might do uh, a um, PR, you know, shoot, which right. is probably what's going to happen instead of a gallery, which is what you do for when you're doing a poster, uh, a poster shoot, like for marketing, where you just shoot them on a like a white or gray background. Um, they probably will shoot something fresh for PR so that it looks like a new show because you know this show is, is back in the past. <laughs> you know, right. It's like in, like in the right. '60s, um, and you know it's it's easy to make it look samey. So it's probably in their best interest to show some new photography for PR, which means it goes out like with magazines and and entertainment shows and huh. and things like that online. You have some fresh photography, but. So far, we have Mindhunter on a white background with Warsha. I haven't seen anything but the ink blot, so I think that's what they went with finally. Um, but I'm very excited to see the show. Mm. I can't wait. And that's really interesting yeah, stuff. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Insider cool. look at how things yeah. get that's done in the pulling back the curtain. Promotional. Because, you know, that's what people see first when they. When, I mean, people might already know about Mindhunter, but people who don't know about it, that's. How the, that's the doorway into their interest in the show is the promotion. Yeah, exactly. So, cool. so that's the uh, insider point of view. And then, Mark, you pretty much will have what the PR entertainment news where in Mindhunter would be using their new photography <laughs> to sell their show. Yes, the, I'll do the insider news thing. Where's my? Uh, where's the royal? Where's insider. the Underwood typewriter? <laughs> 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 That'll be in your theme now. Direct from Hollywood. Let's say, just do the uh, the news feed theme for Mark. Well, here's something that this is you know ripped out of today's headlines. Should we do your intro? Oh yeah yeah yeah. Go ahead. Let's okay. Hear it. okay. Wow. Damn, dude, you wow. sound so legit I, I, right I'm now. So like that, I'm gonna be so <laughs> underwhelming after that. Like wah, wah. what do you I'm gonna i I'm gonna start mine with a rhetorical question. Or All a right. question to that's yeah, not rhetorical. Questions are good. What do you think about when a movie studio pulls a film from distribution oh, yes. based what on what happens in real life? Like terrible tragic events. What's your thoughts? You think it's good? Move? I think it's Bad an move? attempt. It's, to do the right thing, but sometimes it comes off as a little bit, you know, disingenuous because Hollywood, you know, makes a lot of drama with guns and killing. Yeah. And it's a little bit, you know, I, I'm, I have certain views, political views and things that I sometimes feel a little bit hypocritical in the business that I work in because there's all kinds of guns and shooting. And it's, you know, I think sometimes people feel like, the entertainment industry makes people numb to violence. And in some ways, maybe it kind of does a little bit, but I don't think so. I don't think it... Um, it's this classic, you know, video games. You know, I don't that, think that, it that, causes... It doesn't. I, I personally don't think so. So basically well, what happens... Well, I look at it as um, it's a business decision and a publicity quit, you know, thing, I think, because... Mm. Uh, if the movie came out, you know, first of all, we're in the age that the president of the United States is now calling out people and movies and projects and already um, he's already called out this movie. Uh, so at this point, you've already got that strike against you that he's criticized it. So that just that causes a pile on effect. So what ends up happening is the movie already has bad publicity. It hasn't even come out yet. So I think they feel like if they release it in this environment, it's going to it's going to fail. So they're going to lose money. So it's probably in their best interest to hold back on it while it's still hot. Because, I mean, these shootings just happened. Yeah, right. Um, it would be really... I mean, they pulled TV shows based well, on they, that. Well, did they pull that comedy, that Seth Rogen thing, a Kim Jong-il movie uh, that came out that with James Franco? I forgot the name of it. Yes, but the they interview. The interview. Right. Then it went yeah. directly to Netflix yep. or something. Yep. Well, it's the movie's called The Hunt. Well, they also and, pulled a, a a shooting. Another there's another TV show that had like something like this, and something was in the news, and they pulled it. I think it was another shooting episode of a show. I forget what it was now, but um, I do think it's smart of them because the movie would not make money probably, and again, yeah. a lot of bad publicity against the studio. So but this is not this is not a delay. This is a full blown. They're not going to release this. Movie. Well, I just I don't think that's going to happen. Well, I think they're not what, releasing that's, that's it. That's what they're now. saying. Now, yeah, they're anyway. pulling it. Back. I think. Yeah. He, the thing is, like you said, this is nothing new. We well, There's a million movies out there with people hunting people in the woods. That's nothing new. Yeah, this is basically a take on the most da- dangerous game. Exactly. Right. This know. is not a new concept. I think it's just the timing's really bad. Yeah. You know, So it's hard to justify a movie coming out where people are hunting people, shooting innocent people right. in this environment right now. Um, 
So yeah, I, I think it's like Berg said, it's probably a good move just in good faith and also a good move because it would probably fail. <laughs> They'd lose money. So it's a business decision that's probably a prudent one. Yes. Yeah. Nobody want nobody is nobody in the mood that. to see that. Nobody Even though there I are think... films like violent films like this one. I mean, I haven't seen like Hobbs and Shaw, which I guess is not you know, a gun movie, but that's sort of like a Fast and Furious and mm-hmm. lots of violence and a huge at the box office, still huge, yeah. you know, a week later. So yeah. I think what yeah. you just said a second ago is important, too. You said people are just not in the mood to yeah. see it. I think that's a part of it, too. I mean, it's I'm not in the mood. I When certain things are happening in the real world, I just am not in the mood to see horror right. movies or right. bloody you want killer. To escape. It's all about escaping and maybe seeing something that's more, you know, like a, a fun movie or a, a I light become, film. Or, I become know. more interested in older films right. or science fiction movies yeah. or anime or something. Yeah. You know, I want to get away from the, the, the ugliness that I'm seeing. And, right. you know, I think maybe the filmmakers, maybe filmmakers in recent times i mean they kind of react to it there's a big you know fantasy becomes popular during struggles you know hard times and when you look all through history what kind of movies were popular during certain periods you know and you look at how popular mu- musicals were which is like the yeah. ultimate escapist fantasy especially during so maybe world cats war will II. do during, really well during world war ii yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah no i think it all that all makes sense you know it's, it's about right. the escape and the fantasy i just um for me, just uh, I don't like when something like this. But you know, Damon Lindelof was part of this film, and it, so it might be an interesting, interesting movie. It's like I wanted to see it. Yeah, so I get it. It you know you have to be sensitive to situ- the situation at hand. Uh, the question is, will this be just like you know dumped off on Netflix? Will it just sort of yes. maybe be released a year down It'll the road? It'll be pay per view. Because sooner like or later, it. what will happen? What always happens with these we'll shootings? Forget. People will. They'll be these movies will pop up again yeah. once down the road. They just will. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, it did just happen, and yeah, so to yeah. release a movie like right. this right. after shootings, and so it, two it, of them back to back is pretty yeah, and it's obviously you know yeah, it's a major, major, major thing. Yeah, that that was a big deal. I was kind of shocked when I saw that. Well, filmmakers so, do things in promotion, like you were just talking about movie posters and things. I remember um, after nine eleven, there was a, a lot of effort to to get rid of images of the twin towers because. Mm. You know, before 9-11, obviously the Twin Towers were a huge part of the skyline of New York City. So anything that involved New York City had the Twin Towers in it. And there was a Spider-Man film, I think, where he was yes. he had this oh, web yeah, spun that. between the yeah. Twin Towers. Right. And and uh, it was like, no, we have to get rid... I mean, obviously because, you know, 3,000 people died. but But because, oddly enough, those buildings did not exist on the skyline anymore. And any... Any reference to them, any reference to that part of the city was um, depressing and sad and made you think about 9-11. Right. Right. It it took your brain away from Spider-Man. Well, it's kind of interesting because we use a lot of skylines when we create posters. And you have to be really careful the Twin Towers aren't in the shot. Because when you look at stock photography, a lot of skylines still have that in it. So I've seen people actually, you know, doing key art comps, and you see the comp, you're like, get the Twin Tower thing out of well, there. Well, I see a lot of where they're shooting north. So it's going from yeah. north up into midtown Manhattan versus going towards the battery. Right. You know, so. yeah. Well, when you watch a, a 70s film or, you know, 80s, 90s film in, the, in New York City, and they do pan across or you see the Twin Towers in the background of a film, you do get a tinge of oh my god you know it's Absolutely. not it's not just buildings right it's not just buildings in the background it's right. like you're like oh shit yeah no it's uh, it's heartbreaking to yeah. see those buildings so who directed the hunt is that what it was called craig zobel who um did uh he's done like uh, some of american gods he did some episodes of uh, some other good tv shows i think westworld and things like this and a couple of shorts but this is his first you know bigger budget feature it's Blumhouse okay. Jason Blum and Dam- oh, Blumhouse. Damon Lindelof okay. were the producers and it was Universal that pulled it uh, so um, so I think it's, you know I kind of agree with you although usually I say ah, you know I'd, I'd rather just, just let it go out there if it's, a, if it's a terrible movie people will not go see it anyway you know but if it's a good movie the but, thing is people will see terrible movies <laughs> yeah, I but I think in this I case know. it's how people are going right. to talk about it because right. there's so much talk and talk and talk right yeah. now yeah. online everywhere everybody's yeah. got to have an opinion everybody's opinion is angry and divisive and 
everybody, if you don't agree with me, you are my enemy kind of opinions right, yeah. right now. There's a lot of dark shit going on. And you know, yeah. it's funny, I, even I'm like kind of like, ugh, you get kind of sick of like the bad well, negative yeah. shit. I'm like watching Queer Eye just to like right, sure. have something no, very refreshed. And yeah. then Glow just you know started again. I was like, ah, Glow is on just because I just... And yeah. the mind hunter's coming up real fast, and you're like, "Oh, this yeah, is I know." Like- you have to sort of you know, watching old Mary Tyler Moore. I just yes. watched uh, yeah. two, <laughs> two seasons of Fleabag, which was a uh, yeah, perfect, watching that you know, too. I'm loving that. I love that show. So anyway, yeah. it's great to just really laugh, yeah. and, and just concentrate on some characters, and nobody dies in these things. Can I ask it's you about nice. Fleabag real quick? Yeah. Except for Chuckles that, the Clown, <laughs> Guinea the Pig, Guinea, Guinea the Pig, yes. Guinea Pig. Yes, is he all right? He's fine. Okay, good. In fact, he gets Just a checking. He gets a I get worried because it's always out on the floor and people want to stop no, it because they oh, think it's a rat. No, no, and I'm like, no. one of these days, no. fucking no, flea no, bag. No, <laughs> if you no. kill that guinea pig, I'm going to kill you. But Andrew Scott is a priest in season two. I, I heard he's very hot. Which oh, is yeah. not how you, you normally think of him as being like a sex symbol, but you know, I mean, he's an attractive guy, but he's they, so quirky. The sisters think he's hot. That's yeah, all apparently everybody's kind of raving about how hot he is. It's a hell of, it's a, it's a, it's a, like I'm gonna be very quiet. It's a right very now. well written show. It's I love it because the writing, the the gal who I forget yeah. her Phoebe something mm-hmm. something rather. She's, she's the actress too. She's the, the actress lead. and she wrote it and she's really impressive. I worked on that first season. Yeah, yeah. And it was like we weren't yeah. sure. Like Fleabag, what the hell? Is I, have this? No, I still don't know what the hell it means. I yeah. I have no idea what the title means to the show. Not about a hotel or something. Is it based no. on a book? <laughs> based on her play. Oh, it's a play. Okay. So anyway. Well, she's pretty low rent in the in the oh, show. Oh, she's funny. She's funny. No, she's yeah. great. She's she, really you know, it's, it's it's very smart and very yeah, clever. it's very cute. Yeah. And anything British, so yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also watching Endeavor, which I like because it's one of the, it's oh, a crime yes. show, but it's just so beautiful. That's they the one was, up in Norway L- or Sweden or something. No no, 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 no. This is the one in London. Well, it's not even London. It's Great Britain. Um, and it's the '60s. It's like a detective show from the '60s. So all the cars and the clothes. Oh, oh that's my God, awesome. That's so cool. But they have they have some good twists and they got some kind of a few little moments of shocking violence. But oh, wow. it, you're kind of you know when you're seeing something like Downton Abbey and all of a sudden there's a beheading, oh. you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, that's that kind of show. <laughs> I'm watching a series on PBS called The Planets, which is really, really great. See, we don't just watch horror. Yeah, no, we watch all kinds of. There, things. I think. <laughs> well, we didn't. We were well, going to talk about news. a movie, but we talked about some movies. And, and yeah, our we lives. did kind of a general I, I entertainment. I, I liked podcast. it. We sort of went off. Yeah, we yeah. did. Yeah, it was fun. We should well, do that again. I think there's a there's a, a lot to be mined. Yes. Yeah. All right. Good. Well, so is that it for today? Are we gonna? Yeah. That's it. We're That's gonna it. end it. All right. It so fun. look for us on our social media. We're on Facebook. You know, Facebook.com slash Cinemondo Podcast. We're on Twitter. Instagram slash Cinemondo Pod. We're on Instagram Cinemondo Podcast and our website Cinemondo Podcast. And don't forget uh, Patreon. And we have our Patreon. Support the show. Come on. We have interesting little films and things coming up, too. Yep. More to come. Fun 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 stuff. stuff. All right. Thanks for tuning in. All right. See ya. This is uh, Cinemondo signing off.